2: Dave to select uh bonje. Bonje and the crowd table selector.
1: We are TF3 I got all my stats with me. That's what Dave sings. TF3 on a Sunday night is the only time. When people want to talk football, apart from Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and apparently during the international break. But that's okay uh, to talk internationals, uh, local football. Uh, did anyone see non-league this weekend? Nah, just that did... laugh, mate. No one no one, know non-league day?
3: No, I was stuck busy working, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Chris, you can go and cover non-league football and work.
3: Yeah, no, I'm... I'm... I've done it a few times. Um I covered Gateshead Darlington in the FA Vars. Um, been to a few Brandon United games in Durham. A few Durham City games actually as well. because um, I know the, the owner, uh Olivia Bernardi used to, to play for Newcastle and Rangers oh, really? in Southampton. Um yeah, he owns Durham City, which my brother, my younger brother actually used to play for their under twenty threes for about a season. Oh,
1: interesting. And so that that went somewhere?
3: No, he, he couldn't really dedicate the time needed to it, you've, you've really got to be sort of about that life, you've, you've really got to keep yourself, even at that level, you've got to keep yourself in really good shape and, and all that kind of stuff, and he's, he's always been a good player, but I, I don't think he's ever been committed enough on the nutrition side to, to kind of get to the level he wants to get to.
1: Yeah, we've all had that problem at some point. Uh, just ask John Joe. Um, let's get down to some football that people have actually watched this week though, guys this weekend, most people complain about the international break, do either of you sort of complain about it, I kind of like it I I just find the complaints are a bit more I don't watch this, I don't keep up with this so you kind of think well, go and read something about it then,
3: don't you Chris? Yeah, I think that's the that's always the conclusion we take away from this is it's great to indulge in it for a weekend we just need sustainability to it there needs to be maybe something a little bit more long-term. Because let's just take, for example, uh, Mikhail Antonio, he came by that pathway. Uh, Jamie Vardy came by that pathway. So it, without question, has a place in the game as it relates to to professional football. Um, it just needs that consistent support. Dave, there is a bit of a
1: problem. I mean, in a sense, I was listening to the World Football phone the other day and... They were, talking about, they were talking about a lot of things, like they always do, and it's a great, great podcast. It really does complement this one well. Um, but the, the, one of the things was they were saying that, obviously it drags players halfway around the world, but not only that, it sort of puts them on another level. Like, there'll be a lot of people who maybe aren't watching uh, Brazilian football so regularly, and or they want another context for a Brazilian footballer, and it sort of puts certain Brazilian footballers on a, on a, a bigger stage to be able to perform, and puts them more in the spotlight, if you like for bigger clubs to come along. So, say, Brazil or Uruguay or local clubs around there that are trying to use local guys and guys from that league, they almost their hand almost gets shown, if you like. And that must be frustrating.
2: Yeah, I think it's frustrating. But, yeah, international football is definitely behind the, the club game at the moment. We all know that. Um, you know, the amount of time that co- uh, coaches get to spend with, with club teams versus national teams, huge. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one for me. I treat it like a mini holiday, to be quite honest. to try and spend a bit of time with my family, you know, do a bit of chilling out before the club football does come back. Because quite frankly, you know, these qualifiers, we've just had the Euros, um, you know, we've had a, the Copa America. You know, there's going to be a lot of transition from this side and we're not going to be seeing the greatest of football, you know, uh, in the world. So I think it's, for me, it's a little holiday, a little bit of a break, get myself fresh and then back in the game. Interesting. Though. So you're not not—you're not that into it? No, I, I like international tournaments, you know, the World Cup, the Euros, but, uh, you know, it's just not the same standard um unless the, the you know the team is is dominated by a club side and then you'll see you know for example spain um were massively you know pretty much ran that uh, Barcelona sorry pretty much ran that spanish team for year after year after year which were they were good to watch you know this this current german team is pretty much by munich we again good to watch but then you know look at like it's the likes of england um, france and, and so forth it's not so good
1: what do you mean not so good Come on, Dave, um, but be, 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 you're painting in broad brushstrokes here.
2: The quality of the football, that's what it is. The quality of football, the uh, partnerships with the players, especially now after the International break, there's going to be a lot of partnerships that will have to be developed for the next tournament, for the... the the World Cup in 2008 so this is the first time they're playing together really with a, with a sort of eye on the next tournament so it is you know and a lot of change of managers so there's a lot of place to place to impress but it's that the combinations where your teammates are going to move that's what I mean in terms of you playing week in week out with your with teammates at training um, every Saturday every Monday every Tuesday let's say uh, international you're not doing that so the the, the the communication may not be there quite how it should be the movement the, the interplay and so forth so the, the quality and tactically, you know we saw at the, the uh, euros that formations that haven't really dominated European football got quite far. for example, the, uh, the, the Wales uh, three, uh, four, 2 one, because when you get to the top level of Europe, if you play through at the back, teams will find you out. So I think tactically as well as um, you know players' levels and so forth, I don't think it's at the same level as, as, as club football right now.:
1: Interesting. Um, I mean, Chris, let's talk a little bit about Slovakia versus England then in that sense, Um, because, you know, they're all club footballers there. Um, What what did you make of the game? A late save, a late save from Adam. It wasn't pretty.
3: Uh, Slovakia did what I expected them to do, which was sit deep, shut off space, try and shut off lanes in their own half and use the pace of, of Robert Mack and players like him to, to stretch on the counter-attack. So it wasn't that complicated. But as I, I said at the, the time and tweeted out, Slovakia sat deep, but they weren't the most well-positioned from a defensive aspect um, that I ever witnessed. And I think, f- perhaps frustratingly, granted it's, it's one game, so it is a tiny sample size, the lack of real change, in at least in personnel, is a concern for me already, looking at Sam Oluwais' team, because in some ways there was supposed to be a change of uh, just general feeling, I guess, with his arrival. And yet, to me, it actually feels like that old cliche of the more things change, the more they stay the same. You do do like that this season. Do you think that is part of the problem with uh, sort of a lot
1: of the structures at the moment within football is that they seem to be, in, in, you know, almost intimating that they're changing, but like you say, a lot of things are staying the same. I mean, Sam Allardyce is almost the perfect. Um, what would you call it? Is, is he an analogy for that? A representation,
3: perhaps. I mean, a again, he The thing is, I, I tweeted out quite flippantly during the game that I was surprised to see uh, Henderson and Rooney struggle. Um, I, oh, sorry, I was disappointed to see Henderson and Rooney struggle after they came in to replace Henderson and Rooney from the summer. Um, and while that may have just seemed like a cheap joke, actually, it, for me, it represented the frustration of England, which is even after players have had so much of an opportunity to perform, they're still granted more and more chances. And players like Michael Antonio and Mark Noble and uh, Drinkwater, etc., they're never really given an opportunity to truly test themselves. They're given really useless cameo appearances towards the end of games. And and I just think, how do you expect to... Because Sam Allardyx talked about the mentality within the camp and the fact that these players don't handle pressure well and that they're not bad players, and I would agree with that, but they struggle with the way they handle pressure. And I just think, how do you change that by keeping almost an identical team to the one that just went through that. It, it just, there comes a point where actually there are some players where, for me, mentality or ability to handle pressure has nothing to do with it. I don't think that affects Theo Walcott. I think Theo Walcott is a very average player. That's the problem. And the difficulty and the, the perhaps hegemony of sorts in relation to the England selection is something that has dogged them I would say, for at least over a decade, at least going back to the Gerard Lampard era, and can we fit them both in the same central midfield? Interesting. And I just think it must be beyond frustrating for anyone who isn't at a top club or isn't in that bubble um, well, I mean, to, did, to try did, and get was in Was
1: Sam Allardyce sort of a, a gesture towards that, almost?
3: Possibly, but then in, so you could argue that in being welcomed into that, he has done so little to help those that he was once a part of.
1: Yeah, no good point. Because that was
3: the thing is that I remember when he was he was brought in there was a number of pieces that floated around. I think Squawker ran one, um, talking about the five unlikely or left field suggestions or selections that Sam Allardyce could stroke should make. In fact I think who scored did one as well, based on, you know, statistics and what have you. And it doesn't seem like there's been any change at all. I watched that team and didn't see any change at all. I saw actually you can, uh, an almost identical situation to the summer and the Wales game where, but for a late goal, they were on course to draw a game and draw a game that they should be winning.
1: And so here we are, though, Chris, is that they've actually won a game where they almost should have been drawing.
3: Yeah, and and look, I, I, I kind of preface all this with yes, the the year 2016 is still fresh in the review. It, it is just months past. So, huge sweeping changes should maybe not be expected, or at least a dramatic improvement in quality. I would have liked to have seen just a few different faces in the starting 11,
2: though. Even just someone in I mean,
3: Dave, Chris, I, feel free to make
1: suggestions here as to who we could have gone for. Oh,
2: the, t- t- Troy Dini, bang. One player that would fit into Samuel system in terms of playing direct football and building an attack from a physical striker and getting further up the pitch and hence bringing in your wingers and bringing in your attacking midfielders.
3: Chris? I'd have got rid of Henderson. I would have got rid of Rooney. I would have put Dean in for Rooney. Uh, And I'd have been tempted to put Drinkwater or Noble. I'm not massively sure at this precise moment just because I think they're almost identical. Either one of them into the the starting lineup because I think honestly for what Rooney tried to do today, which was just hit long diagonal passes that look great on a compilation, he didn't achieve much else. If anything, he put a free kick over the bar. That was about it. At least Drinkwater has a range of passing to him and can hit those passes a lot more accurately. Um, in terms of Deeney for Henderson, or if you want to say Drinkwater for Henderson and then Deeney for Rooney. Dini is a physical presence, and I think England sometimes like that. There's a there's a lot of tippy-tappy strikers, essentially. And I... ...target at this press moment. If there's a Spurs fan listening who disagrees, I would love to hear the argument against it, because I haven't seen him personally play well as a target man for England at any stage. And I think sometimes you need versatility and you need variety in your starting eleven. And in a game like this where... There was a small chance that Slovakia come out and play. There was also a much larger chance that they sat deep and tried to soak the pressure up. You need someone who can go both ways. And I don't think playing Rooney and Kane does that. I think you've got a slightly different type of striker, but they will inhabit the same kind of space, I think, and give you the same kind of job. Mm, Interesting point. Um, Obviously, Dave, uh, it's great that
1: Rashford isn't in this squad anymore, isn't it? Very obviously, and everyone keeps saying
2: that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, I, I think it's great for Manchester United, but for England, if if I were to massively follow England, I think it, it's one of those things where you need him in. He looks ridiculous this season. It looks like he's put weight on. He looks even better on the ball. He looks so confident. He's not even, you know, he's hardly had any minutes, but you know, coming on and scoring the winner against Hull City, a fantastic goal. He changed the game when he came on. Really gave. United impetus and England could do with something like that. You know, again, Chris mentions Rooney from the bits that I caught in the pub. Um, he was so poor again. In England, he's so poor and the tempo is so boring. And again, it goes back to the, the paradox of English players. His club manager has told him that he's not going to be a 6, he's not going to be an 8, he's going to be a 10 or a 9, yet goes back to play an international team and he's playing an 8 again. And it's sort of like that, what are you doing with these English players? Is You're playing them in two separate positions for your club and for your country. Crazy stuff. Would you see Germany doing that? No. Would you see Spain doing that? No. They play the best players in their best positions. To be fair, Dave, you, you do actually see Germany do that. They have no right
1: back, so they play Emery Chan at right back.
2: Oh, they play Kimmich at right-back. Yeah, yeah, come today. on,
1: Dave, you, 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 know, I'm, you know I'm not talking about that right now, but you know that they played Emre Chan at right-back consistently for, for for at least, I don't know, there were 10 games. they play,
2: pre, played. Pre, Pre-Euros, yeah, they played him there, but Kimmich came in and now Kimmich is the right-back there. Kimmich has now started to play right-back for Bayern Munich. Um, the thing that with England is I feel that they are, again, fitting square pegs in round holes. And this Wayne Rooney thing really sums it up and... Uh, until England really just sort out their problems and sort out the academy, we can't, the academies in, in England, we can't go and, and deal with this problem of England, the national team, because quite frankly, we don't have a philosophy as a nation. We don't have a style as a nation. We are still struggling. You know, it hasn't even been answered. That's this boring debate on how should England play football. We still don't have that. At least if Sam Malinus had gone in and done the Big Sam um, we're going to play hoofball, we're going to win the second ball. We would, have, we would have had a style, at least we'd have a style and a commitment. And that is the problem with... Mm, yeah, but you, you, you don't us. want to commit to
1: the wrong things, do you, Dave? I mean, that's, that's stupid.
2: Well, yeah, but you need to commit something. Yeah, well, do you, though? Right, Kate, okay. right, you go on a night out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you see this you see this lovely lady... Across no, the Dave, don't, you... Dave don't, don't do this. But, I mean,
1: go ahead, hang yourself. I'll give you the rope. <clears throat> this, God, I feel, now I know how Robbie feels and Arsenal fan TV.
2: No, please, do do go ahead, Mo. I was just, uh, just going to go into an example, Lawrence, but you just shot me down. David, were you, so. you going
1: to compare the way that England do things to a trivial night out where you don't need to be committed to that person afterwards and it's nothing to do with their career?
2: No, I was just going to say, you, I was literally just going to say, you've got to commit to something at some time. So you should make that decision to, to go a certain way for a certain time. And if you've hired Sam allies, you're paying Sam allies X amount of money per week, you've got to commit to whatever style he wants to do. You don't make him change his style. Because why have you hired him? You've hired him because he he, he he can keep teams up. He I don't know you're why he's talking he about
3: him. buying a hooker at this point. This is where it sounds like this analogy is going.
2: <laughs> the analogy was shit. I apologise to listeners for a shit analogy. Yeah. But you two, fucking hell. Jesus Christ. Throw me down a hole. Thanks, lads.
3: I I think you paid to go down that hole by the sounds of it.
1: (laughs) That's a very, very well finished there, Chris. Um, Dave, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, OK, fine. I I, I mean, I feel like people and I get bored of uh, listening to the England chat. Where do you think England is going under Sam Allardyce? Going nowhere.
2: To where
3: it's been going, I would argue. I can fully see them qualifying with, with ease for, for Russia in 2018. Whether they make an impact in the tournament is, a, is an entirely different question. I think what is... No, i am not saying what's been disappointing. What I hope for the games that come is a, a genuine integration of the teams below them in the age categories. So they just won the Toulon tournament in the U20s, uh, and I think Lewis Baker played very well. Um I believe Ruben Loftus-Cheek was in that squad as well. The 21s have some, it looks like, some decent players in there as well, um, potentially coming through. Got the likes of Brendan Galloway. Uh, I imagine Joe Gomez will return soon. Uh, Ola, Aina, Ine. My pronunciation has been really poor this this week. The the Chelsea youngster was another one that, that stood out um, when I saw him. It would be great to see that next generation be melded with the current squad and actually see a progression because I think too often it seems like we've just thrown kids in all in one big group at the same time and I, I don't think that's how you do it. I think it has to be a genuine and considered progression and I just haven't seen that with England for a while.
1: Mm. It is frustrating but here we
3: are I mean, and I mean the SMLS era
1: has undeniably started with a win and when I say undeniably I mean there's a fact of a win there um, and obviously there are some small things in there that we can look to uh, point to as positive. Uh, guys, has anyone else watched anything during the international break? Anyone enjoyed anything? Come on, give me something here. Um, I mean, I, I've enjoyed... I mean, uh, the fact is, Chris, later this week, Kosovo, are going to play their first World Cup qualifier.
3: Yes, I believe that's a, uh, something closer to your heart than, than mine.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they are only just finding out... Um, <coughs> excuse me. They're only just finding out whether a couple of their players can switch from being... Uh, obviously, the diaspora of the situation, meaning that people had to leave the Kosovan area during um, the, the war back in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. And obviously, there's an ongoing um, issue there with that. And it has meant that Kosovo had some problems with it getting recognised by FIFA. And when I say some problems, I mean, you know, the very specific countries that seem against um, Kosovo being recognised Um wrongly in many people's opinions internationally and uh, obviously there are there are some great injustices but people have to go through things uh politically um and it it also sort of is beginning to look as if it's going to impact the team on the pitch because the, the coach uh i, I want to say it's Bunyanke i want it might be Bujanki. Bujanki says uh i have plan b and c of course I have to, but I still don't want to think about plan B because it will change everything. And what essentially he's saying there is that if these players don't get through, um, then, you know, and and into the Kosovan squad, which are now six, including the captain, um, then it it will change things for them. It looks as if all those players will get through. Um, The funniest thing was, he said, I had a big problem in training. The aim of the session was defense. But by the end, it was just attack, attack, attack. Um, It was like I had 23 forwards. At dinner, I wrote on the whiteboard, um, are you happy with what you did today? Um, and I need, uh, I need them to come back together, because at the moment they're not. Uh, they all try to be Ronaldo or Messi, and that must be one of the things about putting a new team together at this point, and what everyone wants that team to be. It must be incredibly exciting to be sort of the player in a new international side. I mean, imagine, you know, you were the first to play for England, or you were the first to play for Scotland or Wales, or any of those countries, or any any country, essentially. Um and apparently he's putting the players through double sessions and, you know, basically trying to get people trained to the point where they can defend, but also attack and keep that balance. Um, so it's somewhat mm-hmm. of a football education for a country. And essentially, Chris, it is it's starting from scratch because this was a country that was only made, um, forgive me, I can't remember if it's 2008 or 2009, but uh, only, only sort of brought together a couple of years ago and only been allowed to sort of do these, uh, these sort of football actions and these sort of football uh, politics in the last few years.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, that was one of the things I I found quite interesting was the the Berisha brothers. One of them has opted to play for Kosovo and the other has not. Mm. Um, I want to say it's Valon Berisha of Red Bull Salzburg who has chosen to represent Kosovo. Um, And it's his his brother who has has not because he was actually born in in Sweden. Um, So there's a a very kind of complex identity there in itself. But it does sound quite intriguing from what I've seen. Are you, again, as someone that watches this with a bit more regularity or keeps a little bit more of an eye on it, are you expecting anything significant in the early days? Because looking at the squad as it stands now, there are definitely some talented players in there. Bursan Selena is, is quite a decent exactly. player. player. Yeah. Uh, Sinan Bitki is another one of who I quite like to look So there's talent in there, but are you expecting... Not them to hit the ground running, but are you expecting them to make a a decent fist of it early on, or do you think it takes time to to forge an identity? Well, I guess that's the
1: issue, is they've only really... uh, They've they've obviously played a number of friendlies, uh, you know, obviously against Albania and other countries that recognise them. They've played against Haiti for their first recognised international match. Um, And, you know, I think it is acknowledged that this team needs a bit more balance. I think that is part of the problem, Chris, is that actually when it comes to... Uh, them it's about the coaching and the training and you know essentially at this level a lot of people are expected to sort of compete on uh, you know well we should defend sit back and then on the counter attack that's how Albania did it it's how number of sides sort of approached the Euros um, mm. and I, I, I think you know it, it's about that balance and I, I it's how quickly you can coach those players and like, and like a lot of people say you don't get very much time internationally to coach these guys um, mm-hmm. so it, I think it's going to be a case of building maybe they won't make the initial uh, World Cup, because obviously, you know, it's such a, a fast turnaround. But they are playing Finland first, and I think they go to, their, they go to Finland in, a, in quite a bombastic way and sort of ready to make a mark. And why not? You know, I mean, if you're the underdog, there's yeah. not really much of a, another way um, to sort of approach it, is there? especially with the, the fact that it is, you know, a, a newly formed country and a country that seems so proud to sort of be there. I think that is one thing that a lot of people forget, especially when you approach it from an English perspective, is there's such a different sense of nationality in that area and national mm-hmm. pride. Because people have quite literally fought and died very mm-hmm. recently to form or keep a country, um, and that's something that I don't, you know, I think is often forgotten at the the upper echelons of football is that, you know, it's not about fighting for money; it's about literally fighting for land. And a lot of people are very proud. It's, it's it, you know, it's an extremely emotional uh, situation for a lot of these people. Um, good. Uh, let me just quickly look through some other uh, international. Uh, fixtures out there. Germany beat Norway 3-0. Um,
3: yeah, it was comfortable. Very, very comfortable. Lars Sivitzen. I had uh, 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 someone on Twitter saying that he, it seemed as if the Norwegians had met in a car park before the game and decided they didn't like each other. Jesus. <laughs> That's a very funny way to put it. I mean, what, I mean what, why? I mean, you know... It, it's the Just a lack of, of synergy. Thing. I mean... Norway Norway is a national team, I find them such a, a curious proposition because on the surface they do have a lot of very talented young players. Uh, Josh King, Martin Odegaard is, is perhaps the the one that everybody's name jumps to. But guys like Marwellianussi is another one, Marcus Henriksen could argue even Nordvite, even though he's a little bit older, uh, Martin Samuelson, the West Ham youngster it's just getting them to all kind of gel into something and, and become essentially more than the sum of their parts. Um, and I just think they're going to struggle to do that anytime soon. They do just look when you watch them, they do just look so disjointed and it's such a shame because at least for me personally, I grew up with Norway actually being quite a strong, uh, country, especially relative to the Nordic nations. Um, Granted, it was Denmark that won Euro 92, but then you look after that towards like the millennium, it was always Norway that was was heading to the, the World Cups and things like that and doing fairly well in them with a pretty awful style, I, I admit. Um, so I'm hoping this period in which they try and maybe progress in terms of style and, and the way they think leads them into to something bright, because there are some really talented young Norwegians out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've seen that down the years as well. Um, I mean, that is also part of the problem, is that other countries internationally now are finding, and Chris, I think Dave sort of alluded to it earlier, you know, the, the, the success of uh, Ecuador and other countries like that has almost led to there being a bit of a problem sometimes when the Ecuadorians come home. And I think it was sort of Tim Vickery alluded it, alluded to it the other night. Again, I've gone back to the World Football Funding, but he sort of alluded to it that now these players have been dragged away to play in, you know, Manchester and all over Europe. Yeah. They're playing at lower altitudes. So when they go home, it's no longer the international... Um, advantage of being at a higher altitude or of playing in heat and so sometimes that home advantage is lost and i think chris the problem with that and the monetization of international football is that partly what used to be the charm of it was that you were essentially going to a place where you it was like exploration you didn't know and so there was, it was almost a different challenge of football wasn't it because you know you you would almost have to play more uh, with with the intelligence of players, you know, you, you wouldn't know, so you'd have to adapt during the games. There was something just quite exciting about that. There's a different, it's a different kind of football that we can't really capture anymore. Yeah,
3: I, th- I think that's true. I mean, if you look at the current squad, the Norwegians, there's only a handful that actually play in the domestic league. Um, because to be blunt, it's not the greatest standard. I think even Lars would would agree with that. Going away like that can breed real positives. Like Belgium is a great example. A lot of their players, and I've talked to, to Andy Brassel about this because he's a bit more knowledgeable on that part of the world than I am. The Belgian players going away was so beneficial to the national team because when they came back, they brought with them a variety of different ideas and methods um, from the various countries they have gone to, England, Germany, France, etc. I haven't seen that crossover just yet with uh the norwegians i think it's perhaps because for the most part they're they're playing at a slightly lower standard than than the belgian counterparts um so for everyone you've got like norvite for example who's at west ham you've got someone like magnus wolf who's at malmo it's it's kind of finding the balance and i think making the most of of what you've got like i say though i think there's a a variety of good young players. Iva Fossum, one that I didn't mention there before in that group, he's a really talented young midfielder who's at uh, Hanover in Germany. There's a, a group there that I think, with the right coach, I think that is part of the problem as well, personally, um, is that the, the coach, Permatias Hogmo, he's a little bit old school. Um, and I, I'm i loath to criticise him too much. I just think that that style is maybe not the best fitting for the current group and if they could get someone a little bit more forward thinking and a little bit more flexible they would maybe be able to to put something together
1: Mm. disappointing disappointing we're on international duty when people when people almost don't have the time to be able to work on the project i guess that's part of the challenge of being an international manager i'd love to see sammy lee on the sideline as well yes great to see him back
3: is he wearing a an earpiece
1: I didn't, I, didn't what, I can't see in those pictures I'd love it if he was still wearing an earpiece despite the fact that he constantly sits next to Big Sam I don't know what he's got in that do you think it's five live he's got in that earpiece is he constantly
3: he's sort of relaying messages do you think Chris? picking up Slovakian cab drivers or something yeah <laughs> uh, I you think already, it was, wasn't it originally meant for when because Sam used to like sitting in the stands didn't he when he was at Bolton and things like that I'm sure that's what it was. He used to like sitting in the stand so he could see more of the game.
1: Maybe uh, it's just yeah. Uh, yeah no, I, I think I kind of remember. That. And, and some, and uh, to some extent, uh, some people sort of say it's very different when you're sort. Some people almost say, well, like, they want to be up where the media is because the media can read the whole game, whereas the managers on the sidelines almost, uh, you know, want they, they, to. They're at the level. Right. They can't read the formation, if you like, and that's maybe part of again being a
3: manager. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I would agree with that. There's definitely been instances where uh i've been at sort of taway is really bad for that white hard lane you are very much at pitch level if not actually a little bit lower and it's it's really hard to gauge kind of as you say the formations and and where everything is in relation to each other so i can i can completely see why he does it i don't think it's uh pseudoscience by any stretch interesting okay
1: um all right pseudoscience yes um Let's let's go back to the Premier League. Like we'll talk a little bit more, um, because we need to talk about the Premier League. And essentially, there are going to be some people that are bored of international football. Uh, let us know whether you're bored or not of international football. You're bored with, etc., etc. Um, Dave. Now, money was spent, which exceeded over a billion for the first time in a transfer window. Um, but, And, you know, to some extent, it's actually quite telling. You know, Man City, 181 million. Manchester United, 157 million. Chelsea, 120 million. Arsenal, 96 million. Tottenham, 70. And Liverpool, 68. Is it possible that that's going to reflect the end-of-season table?
2: Yeah, well, it could do. You know, there's a direct correlation between... Um, spend, transfer we, uh, transfer spend and wage spend with league position. You know, there's a great book, economics if you're not ready, go and check it out from Simon Cooper and, and another fella, but it's a brilliant book. But they basically show you that the more that you spend on wages, the, more, the higher up the league you're going to get. So it does kind of make a little bit of sense. I could see the Manchester Cubs being the top two. I think Chelsea and Arsenal will be the three and four. Then I also think that Tottenham and Liverpool will be four, uh, five and six, but I think it's a slightly different permutation That I'm going to go with United City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, but I do think that that will reflect the top uh, six in the Premier League.
1: Chris, I mean, uh, people talking about it representing a move away from uh, the rest of you know the rest of the teams below, but a lot of people obviously spending money. That, however, you know, uh, you, I think I mean, obviously you put two Manchester clubs together, that's a, a three tenths of what was spent in the Premier League. You know, you add Chelsea to that, and that's um, four tenths of it. You know. The, the fact is that you know there is a lot of money being spent there, but it doesn't necessarily represent value
3: for money, does it? No, I mean that's the you know that's the funny thing. Crespo, Hernan uh, Crespo said this week that he totally understands why Juventus paid what they did for Higuain, but thinks that Manchester United paid far too much for Paul, which is a, a very interesting way to decipher it. Um, I, I think, and my my dad actually made this point. Uh, as we were watching Deadline Day, it is very much a case of the haves and the have-nots now in football. Um, I mean, for example, I I just can't conceive my own team spending £89 million on a single player. Um, It was a genuine shock when we spent that on a group of players. So the thought of investing that in just one individual, just, it's, you know what it is, It's, it's similar to when I talk to my dad about anything now, That was relatable to when he was young. The idea of, you know, to use an example, when I travel anywhere outside of this country, he's always very much kind of in awe of that because to him, going across the city was seen as like a holiday. And it's a similar premise of the million pound player, now the hundred million pound player. You keep almost saying to yourself, yeah, but there's a limit, it's got to stop somewhere. And I'm, I'm slightly concerned that it's just not going to do that. I'm, I'm concerned that it's going I mean, to keep It's going to have to, though, isn't it, Chris?
1: Because m- money does sort, of, you know, it does sort of taper off,
3: you know? I don't think it'll increase in frequency, so I don't think we'll start seeing a raft of £100 million players. But I have a, a nasty feeling that for the very elite in that group with Pogba, Ronaldo, Bale, etc., the price will keep rising for that player. And then it may force maybe on the lower end prices to go up slightly. Um, and and to me, that's a concern. I mean, I just I've worried that not enough of that money, as we opened the show with non-league day, that not enough of that money is going back down the the turnpike, so to speak. Because yeah. as important as the likes of Pogba and, and Higuain are, we have to accept that this is a pyramid in every sense. It's the reason it's the call the footballing pyramid. Is because those at the very lowest levels actually play a huge role in supporting the more affluent at the top, and if we don't take care of them, I, I really worry for where the game goes after that.
1: Yeah, d- d- bubbles sort of burst in the end, though, it
3: was really, Chris. Um,
1: and, and then there are people who sort of try and continue them for as long as they can. Crespo said the other day, if Juventus paid so much to get Iguain from Napoli, it means he's worth that money. In my view, it's, it is logical to pay 90 million for a striker who scored 36 goals in a single season. It's far more logical than Manchester United paying 110 million for Pogba. So he's sort of he's sort of congratulating, but also um, sort of uh, scorning United at the same time, which I don't really get. It seems, it seems a bit almost revisionist, if you like, of of what went on and and what kind of players they are.
3: Yeah, I see what you mean. (sighs) Again, it's, I don't know, it's just a very, the the difficulty I have is, is that when we have these debates, they're often so tribal and I found that massively with the video that we did on TFR this week about who had a good transfer window and a bad transfer window. But
1: is it, is because, that the way that it's framed, though, Chris? Is that not how you frame yeah,
3: it? Yeah, that massively impacts it. I mean, the question you're asked is the question you're asked. And that's why I, I think Chelsea... Um, funny enough, i got the most abuse off Chelsea fans. Some of it just really petty and is. ignorant. Um, no, it's disappointing because I've had some... I, again, I never try to generalise fan bases because I think that's unfair. Every every club has their degree of idiots... But for some reason, it was incredibly focused from just this one club in this instant. And it was because I had said that I thought Chelsea had a bad window because they bought David Louise for close to 40 million when he's clearly a fourth or fifth choice. And then Marcus Alonso, who will essentially be a backup left-back. And so kind of faces the tribalism that I was called an idiot. Essentially, I was my appearance was mocked. All these different kind of things. And yet, anyone that I actually tried to debate it with or discuss it with, didn't come anywhere near it they just wanted to to kind of go back and say well you're an idiot yeah, But obviously it's rooted in some kind of fact and evaluation what i've said i've not just plucked it out of the air they did spend an exorbitant amount of money more on david louise than i think is even sensible having sold him to another club for 50 million they've then bought him back for 10 million less two years later when he's not become a better player that's the okay, other point. When essentially it's the choice for PSG. But I mean, is that not also partly,
1: Chris? I mean, the, the problem is, I, I listen to a lot of political podcasts, and you can essentially sort of parallel the political with the, the Premier League right now, if you like, because there is this kind of. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose that there is sort of propaganda in both because there's so much money swilling around, there's so many opinions, there's so many different interests pulling in different directions. You know, you can almost put a football, football clubs sort of in the same area as lobbies, you know, because people are lobbying for their own cause. And essentially, you know, podcasts sort of become, and sometimes I listen back to podcasts and there are a few who sort of manage to sit outside of it or sort of have that left side I almost view and they, you know, they, they mock the situation a little bit. You know, I, I like to think they mock that a little bit. But, it, you know, essentially the, the view of world football is controlled by, um, you know, centres of these sort of things. So, you know, white guys on podcasts, middle class white guys on podcasts. I'm not claiming not to be one of those. but I'm just saying that is the way it is very often. And, you know, uh, pe- people sort of, everyone's got their own opinion, but it's very difficult to change those opinions because... Actually, it's been found if you even if you disagree with someone and you present them with facts, if anything, there's almost like this cognitive dissonance to go completely
3: the other way. If you like, it's yeah, it is. As you say, there's a huge political element, there's a tribal element to it. I mean, I said similar that I didn't fancy Emery Moore for 11 million with Dortmund again. in the interest of fairness, for every one that was kind of needlessly abusive, there was one who said, well, can you explain that in a bit more detail? Which, again, I'm more than happy to do with anyone. I actually quite enjoy that. Um, I think there's a benefit to be had for me personally in doing that because I I end up learning a lot more than, than maybe I came to the table with. But I think that's the other problem is that, and it depends how far you want to take this, I think right now there is a genuine unwillingness for people to take responsibility, period. In, a, in any kind of, be it football transfers and, and who their team has signed, in mistakes they make personally, whether it's celebrities, normal people, whatever, whether it's a stupid tweet or it's a £40 million centre-back, there is just this weird fascination with people not wanting to stand up and say, actually, I made a mistake, or actually, that's not a very good deal. And I find it very bizarre because... Again, to me, I was always raised that if you do something stupid, if you do, at least if you hold your hands up, you know, you can sleep a little bit easier at night. But for some reason, everyone's looking for mitigation rather than responsibility. I think, Dave, do you sort of feel the same? Do you feel a bit like some people sort of approach you
1: with statue approach? Sometimes people sort of people are definitely use that on the stats side of things that they sort of go, stats can't tell you anything, and you, you know that they're instantly dismissive of that. But what they don't realise is that it's not, you know people misuse so many of these facts that we have in football and especially when it mm. comes to football and transfers. They they almost become weapons, you know, because people like full time devils. And I'm not saying they do this, uh, they misuse them in that way, but I'm I'm just saying, you know, they um they they sort of uh you know that they wrap they some a lot of fan channels sort of wrap their argument up in stats and it almost they almost become meaningless.
2: Yeah, it's that Squawk of Dave fella on Twitter is an absolute weapon, isn't he? Doesn't know what he's talking about. Just uses stats way, all Dave. the time. Happens so many times. I just like, you know, for me, stats just add something else to football. You yeah, spoke about this on the on the Betway podcast I was on last week about how, for me, stats isn't the be all and end all. For me, it's all about the football. It's always going back back to the footage. It's always going back to the tactics, and, and then the stats is the fact at the end of it. You cannot argue that a statistic is not a fact is not factually correct. A goal is a goal. A pass is a pass. A key pass is a key pass. What it is, is it's, it's defining what an event is. And if that is to put in an argument to say who is the best player in the world or say this or say that, you have to go back to the underlying um, you know, the underlying definition of what the statistic is. You know, the Fellaini thing that I put, picked out in the Southampton game that was fascinating, that Fellaini was moving over to the left-centre-back zone and he was winning headers in front of Daley. Fascinating stuff. You pick it up from stats, but then you go back and you look at the game footage and you find out what happened. You're like, shit, Fellaini is actually making this move. That is really interesting tactically. Bang, Mourinho, well done. But that's the thing. I don't use stats in isolation. I don't just say um, Thomas Muller's the most underrated player in world football because he scores loads of goals or um, he gets loads of assists. You know, it's more to that. You know, you have to build this opinion of a player. You can tell quite a lot about a player before watching him by looking at his stats. You know, that's something that I can do by because I've looked at stats for so long. But then you've always got to look at the player because the player, quite frankly, could be rubbish. It could be somebody else, it could be a teammate that's really. The guy that deserves the credit for making things happen, or it could be the striker for getting on that. You know, if you look at um, someone that's created loads of chances in the league, but then you know it's all about this goal scorer being so instinctive with his finishes. You know, you need to look at it more. And that's the big thing. Stats aren't the be all and end all football. And I know that, but sometimes you do get responses or get criticism by people of stats. Um, saying they are, you know, they are seen as as people use them like that, but they're not. It's it's a little part of a bigger picture, and that's what people need to understand. But also on our side, on the media side, we need to learn about stats because we don't. We have a very very poor understanding of what they are. You know, education is the biggest thing in everything. But some some football pundits need to understand what a stat is and what it means and what it actually means, and not just beat around the bush like a flaming heat map. What is a heat map? A heat map isn't about the movement of a player. A heat map is the, is mapping the on-the-ball actions of a footballer. So all you're telling is where the base of his events are coming from. So it's quite interesting because you can see where central mid- midfielders play all their passes for. Do they push to the left? Do they push to the right? But it's nothing else apart from that. It's where their events are coming from. You can see where their tackles come from and so forth. But it's not where the player's moving or you know, that type of thing, which is quite frustrating because that's what it's seen as by people on Match of the Day, by people on Sky Sports. This is it. It's education in both ways. Yes, pundits need to be educated, but yes, football fans need to be educated too. Or informed, helped. Dave. Or informed, yeah. I don't mean to say education in a bad way. I just mean that it, you, know, you might not understand it. You might not get it. And it's not your fault. I'm not blaming anyone for it. It's just maybe they haven't been told and that's it. It's, it's just giving people more information about what the stats actually are and that's where they need to go in terms of this game. My voice is absolutely dying. I apologise, guys. Fine, I'm so right. croaky right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Um, you're doing well. Good argument. OK. Um, uh, there was an interesting stat I read the other day. Uh, we, we sort of need to move on for Liverpool. Only once before in the 124 history of so many players left the club during the summer. That was 2005, obviously, when Benitez came in. Um, when obviously, some of the European Cup winners left. Barosh a Nunez, Biscayne. i think Smitzer was already going to leave anyway. Um, but, but Chris, I mean, that's been fascinating. Is the reshaping, essentially, if you like, of this Liverpool side is is less about some of the ins and more about some of the outs.
3: Yeah, Mario Balotelli is is perhaps a big one, if not in terms of stature as a person, but finances and what it represents. Because that, I guess, that is seen as clearing out the. Do you want me to read the quotes? More, I mean, you can. I'm just thinking. It, in some ways, I guess, it exercises the ghost of the transfer committee.
1: Yeah, I mean, go. Ahead, finish your point, and then I'll follow up with a salient um, piece of shit point.
3: I just think he was a scapegoat. I, I, I don't think he did everything he could at at Liverpool. Definitely. I also think there was periods of his time there where he would go wide and people would say, why isn't he in the middle? And he would go in the middle and people say, why isn't he pulling wide? He he really couldn't win for a good period. And I think personally, I think Jamie Carragher's uh, tweets about him are absolutely laughable. Um, I really? think they're incredibly disrespectful to yes. a professional, um, completely unneeded as well. I, I, to yeah. my knowledge, I don't think Balotelli has ever um, sought to, to criticize him in public. And yet for some reason he feels the need to try and be funny about um, him moving to nice I just thought it was just thought it was very it was different. a little classless yeah very very classless um and I don't know what he's trying to achieve with it personally I, ju- I just think the second you stray into that kind of thing just suggests you haven't really got anything intelligent to say or uh, sort of uh, constructive either or, or to be honest that. If I'm really honest, I, I rarely find anything he says constructive or in, or intelligent. Do, but do you think, think if, Gary Neville is good? But I, I've not got much time for Jamie Carragher as a pundit. Um, I mean, do you sort of, do you do you think therefore
1: that there's a justification in the way that Balotelli, Balotelli retorted, which was sort no, of I think, in a tweet? I think or do you think it's both? It well. You know, yeah, as low as each
3: other. I, I, I think if if I was to absolve Balotelli, that would be hypocritical. I, I think in that instance, he shouldn't have said anything either. I, th- I think it's all just very childish and petty. Um again, you know it's a very different level, granted, but Rhys Wabara, who is formerly of man city um recently said that Wigan asked him to take a much lesser deal because he owns a, a clothing company as well um and he refused to to do it on principle, which is is fair enough. I don't well, know if what, what was that story logic is there? true what was the log- basically he's got another income he, yeah he doesn't need the money um wow, okay. and, interesting you know. He tweeted out, I was just reading it the other day, that, You know, he said people are saying I should take less of money. Um, he said, you know, I, I want to play professional football. And I'm sure Mario Balotelli is the same. I don't think any professional wants to sit on the sidelines. They all want to play, they all want to contribute. And if he's going to make fun of Balotelli for having a bit of confidence about him, a bit of swagger, I would argue in the face of what has been chronic racism in Italy, yeah. a general lack of acceptance by people he considers countrymen. And lack of research, I'm essentially. Not gonna I'm, I'm not going to blame him if he masks some of that with confidence. Because I think I, I would try and do exactly the same. And of course, every every now and again, he's going to say something that looks, looks utterly stupid, like I'm going to win the Ballon d'Or and who's Jack Wilshire. But there's a good portion of it that is him carrying himself with a confidence that I think is needed in his position, unfortunately. And yet, he's won a Premier League. It was his assist that wins City, the Premier League, might I add. So I th- I think that in itself, you know, th- there's a little bit of naivety there to what he's actually done in his career, because it's a lot easier to remember the stupidity than the actual achievement. Yeah, I mean, uh, and essentially, uh, you know, the, the...
1: essentially both parties haven't really sort of uh, gone without their parting shot, but there was sort of... Klopp essentially said, you, you know, he's a great player. I'm sure he'd be very happy somewhere else. He was very uh, political about Balotelli in that sense. Um, but, uh, you know, essentially at the same time, uh, Raiola, uh, Balotelli's agent, and obviously the agent for a number of other big players out there, um, <laughs> called Klopp a piece of shit. Um, he said in the end, the hirams at Liverpool admitted Klopp was wrong. And what he means by that is that Klopp was wrong to put him uh, in the reserves and to play him in the reserves. I mean, to be fair to him, that is, you know, I, I think Klopp has sort of dealt with it in a classier way and tried to be at least positive uh, or at least put a spin on it in, in that sense. Um, I don't think he really fitted the system. It was very clear he wasn't willing to push for Brendan Rodgers. So if he wasn't going to push for Rodgers, he's definitely not going to push for Klopp. Um, I'm not trying to judge him as a coach. He instantly um, goes back on that and says, although for me, he's not a good coach. Um, but he didn't understand uh, that Balatelli is, whatever else, a person. Um, and I think, you know, it is interesting, isn't it, Chris, that, you know, uh, essentially one minute, you know, we're sort of, again, and I, I mean, Dave, maybe you can come in on this one. Uh, you know, one minute we're judging uh, judging Pep for sort of saying, you know, well, you know, off off, off, uh, Joe Hart goes to Torino and, you know, that's all fair and good. But the way that Klopp has dealt with uh, Balotelli is the opposite. Or, I don't, or maybe no one's saying that, maybe just people are sort of giving Raúl his own voice
2: and his own platform. Why are, you, why are we listening to Raúl? why are we letting Raúl have so much agent, media? Dave, he he sort of controls where
1: people go. Mm. You know, it's very clear. Well, yeah, inher- inherently,
2: inherently that's the issue, isn't it? Inherently that the media picks this up because he has become this super agent. Uh, you know, it's, in a way, it's a bit of a cancer of the game that these people are still involved and they still will be involved. Like, how is he passing comment on a manager? What right does he have to do that? What's he done in his professional career to, to be able to do that, which is completely wrong? You know, the, the quotes on, on, on Klopp are not, are not nice, and I don't like that type of thing, coming out there as a football agent and, and dropping bombs like that. But Balotelli and, and Klopp could have worked. It didn't work. You know, Klopp would have been the best man for him, potentially with Balotelli a little bit younger. But as Chris mentioned, you know, he's won the Premier League. He, he's still Balotelli. He's never quite grown up, and, and this is his last chance at Nice in Europe for me. And if he messes this up, then... That's it for him, really, in terms of his footballing career. Someone that had such talent and someone that could have been so great, but ultimately, attitude has let him down massively. And again, yeah, agents in the game just...
1: No, I mean, those guys are, are kind of trying to make their money while they can, essentially. Uh, a lot of influential people there. Yeah. Um... Maybe you won't have that influence soon when the movement of players changes. Like I say every time we talk about sort of the movement of money and people uh, within Europe. Anyway, uh, let's move on. I mean, someone who isn't moving or really going anywhere at this point, Dave, is Bastian Schweinster, who's been left out of Manchester United's Europa League squad. Um, it, it all seems a little bit fuzzy there. Uh, what, what exactly is going on at Manchester United at, with Basti?
2: I just—I don't think it's fuzzy. I think he's just hes not in Mourinho's squad. He's not in his 23-man squad. You know, if he, in the Premier League, he did make the Premier League squad, maybe he was number 24 or 25, but the Mourinho's evaluated the players and decided Bastien is not part of his plans. You know, that's it. To be all end all. I think, yeah, Bastien is a wonderful guy and he seems like a great bloke and he seems like he loves being at United, but it's just the wrong time. They should have, you know, if this happened as a transfer, it should have happened maybe three years ago when he was in his peak because, quite frankly, now he, he is a little bit uh, injury-prone. When he played last season, he was very good, but he didn't play enough. Um, and inherently, that Mourinho can't rely on someone like that. So, unfortunately, it's probably time for Bastian to, you know, leave Manchester United and then I'm being left out of these two squads. But, but what now, though, Dave? Because he's obviously he can't go anywhere. That's kind of it. He's made his bed, and he's going to have to lie in it now, right? He's sitting on two and. <laughs> Two hundred grand a week, though, to be fair. So,
1: yeah, but his age he doesn't really want to be doing that. He wants to kind of be playing, I guess. There's, you know, I mean, you know, it's obviously great to go to United, but does he really want to be there like that?
2: I don't know. He's he's won everything. He's won the World Cup. He's won the Champions League. He's yeah, but done Dave, he's absolutely so he, 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 everything. I mean, he's but a competitor, though. He does not want to. Sort but then of... that, okay, so I come back to you, and my question is competitiveness. If he wanted to play football, he had he had potentially had offers in quotation marks from Germany to go back there, but he made it clear that United was his last club in Europe. So if he was a real competitor and he really wanted to go again, but why, that's why I'm coming back to you and saying, why would he want to do that? He's won absolutely everything. He's sitting on £200,000 a week. He loves being around Manchester. He loves being around Manchester United. Why not just sit there and see out your contract and then go over to the MLS? In a very cynical way, that's probably what he's doing. But, uh, do you really think that's what he's doing? I mean, it
1: just, I mean maybe, I'm, maybe I'm, you know, we're both trying to write different narratives, but you know, it seems very cynical of a player who's played very at a very high level for such a long time that he'd be happy to do that.
2: Well, I think that's it, though, right? It's we don't know what what Bastian Schweinsteiger is thinking. We don't know what Bastian Schweinsteiger had the options to move in in, in the window. We don't know what his relationship with Mourinho. So we have to paint between the lines. But uh, that's that's my interpretation of it is that potentially he is just sitting there waiting till his contract comes out, maybe looking for the next. Um, Time in the MLS where there's a draft where you know the designated players come free. Chris is probably going to know more about that. You know when that opportunity is available. Maybe he's just looking for that. And that's fine. He's had, he's had a wonderful career. He's been one of the best players of our generation, and we should celebrate that. You know his his tearful end to his Germany career was wonderful. It was a beautiful sight seeing him cry, um, putting the last sort of time that he's going to put on the Germany shirt because he's done a lot there. There's there's been some wonderful German t- sides over the last few seasons. Um, you know the counter attacking team of 2000. And Ten, the dominant team in 2014. You know, we've had some wonderful Germany teams where he was the fulcrum and he was the heartbeat of those sides. So let's celebrate Bastian's career. But I think it might be, it's coming to the end. Injuries sometimes kill players. And it seems like that's kind of happened to his Man United career.
1: Mourinho doesn't seem to have much time for certain players of that ilk. Um, You know, I mean, you know, fair enough. Again, we have just said it managers have to be cut through it, they've only got a certain amount of time they need to be successful, it doesn't seem as part of his plans I guess he's told him um, Chris, just off hand which MLS club would you see Basti going to?
3: He's been linked to Chicago um, the Chicago Fire, who have decent record of G- a German Arnold Friedrich was there a few years ago, but injury kind of curtailed his spell there, so it's maybe not the best allman um, sending him there, but he'll not be short of off as he's a, a very talented player
1: uh, great point. Uh, Dave, further down in the youth ranks at Manchester United, exciting things are happening.
2: Very exciting. There's a DJ on the loose. There is a DJ on the loose dropping some bombs. But first, let's talk about an Angel, Lawrence. An Angel Gomez. Angel, right uh, uh, yeah, yeah, obviously Stephen is our um, is our expert on Manchester United youth. And I asked him last week, how do you... Um, how do you say his name? And, and, and Housen said Angel, so I'm going to go with what Housen said because he usually gets pretty angry when I get my pronunciation wrong of Manchester United youth players. But yeah, he's, he's really, for, for me, he's blown onto my radar the last few weeks, you know, scoring the hat-trick against Everton, uh, the youngest ever player to score a hat-trick for Man United uh, at academy level for almost uh, 15 years. He scored the hat-trick when he was only 15 years old still. Absolutely incredible. But it's like how he's how he's taking the goals how he's creating goals in the game. You know, it was caught the highlights of the game against uh, Middlesbrough this weekend. Um, and he was just, like, absolutely pivotal in most of the goals. And, you know, looking back on, on the highlights of it, it was pivotal in the game. And it's it's incredible to see a player of um, such touch and composure and like, physical ability as well. You know, he's playing for the under-18s and he's just, you know, is he just 16 now? Absolutely incredible. You know, was, um, he assisted two of the goals scored one of them and the thing I like about him in the penalty areas is his first touch is it's almost Messiesque esque in, in quotation marks obviously we, we the great player we can't um compare everyone to but he just kills it in the penalty area simple brings it down one touch and then you know opens himself up side foot finishes which he likes to put away uh, but also the DJ um Bafouge I think that's how we say it was that did I nail that Chris thumbs up or thumbs down it's not
1: Bafouge because there's an N in there but okay I think it's Bafonja <laughs>
2: Bafonja. Yeah, he was very impressive as well. DJ Bafonja, um, who's coming from Fulham, a very pacey winger, playing on the right-hand side against Middlesbrough, looked very good, uh, involved in the second goal, assisted the fourth goal. That was after some brilliant interplay with Gomez. He exchanged four passes together and Gomez fired it in um, and then scored the fifth. Uh, he looks very impressive as well, very impressed with those two players. They They look like... They could become something else, but then there's a lot way there's a lot there's a big amount of time between getting from the under-18s to the first team. You know, I know that from watching a lot of reserve United United football when I was back in Manchester. So you know, I hope these players do push on as the players in there that we you know could potentially explode. So it's interesting for United. They look a lot better. You know, from after coming what bottom second bottom in the under-18s league, uh, they really turned it on this season. You know, but two back-to-back five-one victories. It's looking promising again. Uh, I mean, do you not see that a lot at this level though? Dave? Um, well, I think with Manchester United recently, no, I haven't seen that. I've seen teams get absolutely battered. You know, watching um, the Champions League, youth youth Champions League thing last season when United played Wolfsburg, United were absolutely rubbish. Rashford again, <laughs> strangely enough, was the only player that shot out. You know, and he went on to play for the play for the first team. He, he actually looked like a decent player. He looked like he was taking people on, looked confident, size-wise looked up to the level, but the rest of the United team were very, very poor, I, I personally thought, in that game. So, yeah, I was, you know, more impressed this season.
1: I know, I'm, I, I know I don't really have very much context for the youth football side of things. I'd be interested to know people who follow a bit more of the youth side. Um, but, yeah, I, I see a lot of great goals every week whenever I watch the youth clips. And it seems a lot like some of it, Chris, is, yeah, I'm not saying there's wrong here, but, but, but almost propaganda for the club if, if things are going wrong. You know, I mean, when, when, we, when I made the Liverpool documentary, there were sort of people who were sort of saying, you know, you do, when things aren't great, you do... you you do uh, sort of invest in the youth, if you like, or you sort of put your hope on them. Um, And then, you know, from from there, I don't know, you're you're almost sort of going down a path of, oh, well, this will be the next big thing, instead of sort of being in the moment, if you like, or at least in the top league anyway.
3: I think it's something you become more self-aware of as you get older. So the the players, maybe when you're their age, that stand out, I imagine Dave can think of ones for United. I imagine you can think of ones for Liverpool. I know I can think of Newcastle ones. Many, yeah, many, uh,
1: many, many, many players, actually.
3: And, and there are certainly those who, who don't fulfill the potential, who score with frightening regularity. There are also those who have very mediocre times at that level and progress. It, it is very much an, an inexact science. And I think that's why those who can give some kind of reliability to youth development, are seen as real magicians because it is difficult to do, and, and it's one of the things I find so impressive about the likes of Barcelona and Atletico Bar, and and all these clubs that do have a, a fairly steady stream of players reaching the first team because it isn't easy. Um, it's it is nurturing a, I guess you could argue a child really for the most part. Yes, they they're an adult in age, but there's there's a similar I would say path. Um, between raising a child and, and raising a footballer in that sense. So it's it's difficult but then I also see why people hang their, their hats on it because there is a pride in, in seeing someone that you've watched since eighteen reach the first team. And that's that's universal, whether it's a club here, a club in MLS, a club in Asia. There's a an attachment as if as if they understand it in a way that maybe only you can understand. And I think it's that shared feeling is is why people kind of invest so much in in youth products and such like when they come through the club mm,
1: good point um dj buffonja buffonja deep good um look him up dave are you going to tweet a link to that that video someone can go and find it right
2: uh, maybe not tweet a link Lawrence, because then you get banned on twitter you know i can't do naughty things like that mate united ah. will come far after me mate i don't want that
1: good Point.
2: Yeah. Um, in the same yes. way that you, yeah,
1: Dave, you can't do anything or say anything offensive on YouTube anymore. But that's almost a whole other. That's a whole other issue. Uh, more on that, probably never. Uh, Gennaro Gattuso rejoins Pisa a month after resigning due to differences with the owner Chris. Tell me a little bit more about this because obviously Gattuso is one of those characters within football. But we can. Uh, we, we, we.
3: Italy, Italy's Italy, isn't it? It is, but that's a wonderful thing. Um, it means that we get situations like Pisa, where Gennaro Gattuso was, was manager. He quit last month, um, citing lack of resources, a bad working relationship with the owner, and has now decided to go on to another job with Pisa. Um, Gattuso is such a, a curious character. Um, his career kind of ended a little bit prematurely with the, the injuries suffered where he was having blurred vision at Milan. Um, he kind of went into management. Was it Scion? I think was it OFI Crete. Um, came to Palermo for a bit, which is a, a death note for any manager, really, to go to Palermo. Because I guarantee you will be sacked, potentially rehired, and then sacked again. <laughs> um, but he seemed to have found some success with Peter. He got them promoted to Serie B. Which is is no mean feat. Um, <clears throat> some some people I know are currently working with Venezia, uh, the team in Venice, who are trying to do the exact same thing this season, and they've got some kind of backing behind them. And it, even they're not kind of speaking with with arrogance about the task at hand. So it's it's not an easy easy feat. Um, I, I would like to see him succeed. I know he, he conjures quite a polarizing image because of the the situation with Tottenham and when he put head- head-butted Joe Jordan. I still kind of like him. I think, you know, Sunes's evaluation of him as just being a little Terry that ran around. I think there was a bit more to him than that personally. I don't think he would last in, in Italy's national team just being a runner. Um, and I think he achieved a lot in the game. And, and, yeah, I hope he succeeds, but I'll be very unsurprised if we read in a month's time that he is departing Pisa once again.
1: Uh, yeah, well, that is very much the nature of some Italian managers' careers, although you seem to pick up a little bit along the way. Uh, Dave, let's go for a couple more transfers. Antoine Griezmann, apparently it's no surprise that he's being linked with Manchester United by the Sunday Mirror. Um, and these rumours have been circulating for a few days now, so they must be true. Um, and uh, basically, Manchester United would be willing to break that transfer record again for him.
2: And he, oh, Did- he said things. Did you see him standing next to Paul Pogba in France training, Lawrence? Because that pretty much means the deal's done, right? Pretty much, Dave. So, you know, Antoine Griezmann to Man United would be a dream of mine, considering he... I've liked this lad for a while. Do you think he know, just really stood next to
1: him? He... he had a busy summer and he sort of went moved to United. He went, where? And he said, oh, it's a, it's a club in England. He said, uh, <gasps> tell me more, Paul. I reckon... could tell me more, Mr Boom.
3: But I, I thought United just got relegated. No, no, the other United. Good. Very good. Go
2: ahead, Dave. I think he'd fit in. He'd fit in massively to Man United and, and what Mourinho's trying to do there. So um, it'd be an absolutely perfect signing for, for United. You now, how how if Slatan does stay another season, it'd completely complement his movement. Um, it'd really, really give United something else in the final third in terms of speed, the counter-attack. You know, imagine Martial, um, McTirion, uh, Griezmann off Marcus Rashford. Imagine how much peg to that front four has. But, you know, he's a wonderful, wonderful player, the best finisher in 1v1 football, 1v1 in my personal opinion. Um, I, I think he's a fantastic, it would be a fantastic acquisition, but can I see it happening? Maybe next season, you never know with these things, but obviously he's, he has committed his future to Atletico Madrid, signed a new deal with them. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, it could happen, let's just put it that way.
1: Good. <laughs> Very interesting.
2: Uh yeah. I don't want to okay. commit to anything Lawrence people kill me.
1: Yeah, very good point, Dave. Don't want to overcommit to something which uh, other
3: people will be really committing to at some point. Um, I love the way Man United fans talk about truly elite plays. He'd fit in great here. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, I mean, you know, the same happened with Varane and Forlan and all those other guys, right, Chris?
3: I think he'd have a fantastic experience here. <laughs> like... Yeah, you mean he'd massively improve your team? <laughs> I think you'd have a great experience. We'd tell you you're all great. Oh yeah,
1: but I mean, to be fair, Chris, I mean, people—if people talk about pedigree and they talk about a club knowing how to treat a player, then are they wrong? And and has it been proven before, or is it, is it slightly just that they're only really seeing their own experience? And I'm not saying I'm not saying that to put Dave down.
3: No, but I think you could argue this. I mean, in fairness to Dave, he explained it in tactical ways that make a lot of sense. I think there's a good argument to be made that a lot of elite players that have gone to Man United recently have failed, uh, failed, <laughs> failed, um, have failed. And so it's, it's not the guarantee. Um, it seems on the surface. And you mentioned that yourself, Ron. there's enough historically who've gone there and just not succeeded. It is not actually as easy a club to, to fit into,
2: but, as I think but, a lot of people think. But then with this transfer, it fits into Mourinho's system that he plays. It fits into his mentality, in terms of his defensive work that he's going to put in, it's, he's the perfect Mourinho player. Chelsea should have bought Griezmann yeah, last summer.
3: If that's, Chelsea that's had signed Griezmann
2: saying. instead of signing Quadrado and, and so forth, they potentially would have won the Premier League. And they didn't do that. Mourinho left, and I feel that you know he's an elite player, but he would he would fit into Manchester United down to an absolute sea. And I think that it'd be a good little bit of business. Maybe not Newcastle this time, Chris. But give it a few years, buddy. When you're back in the Premier League. <laughs>
1: Oh, Chris, do you want to have a little?
3: <laughs> no.
1: no, I don't mind. Yes, yes, good, good. Uh, one of you is Jamie Carragher. The other one of you is. Who knows? <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not
0: looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
4: Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Good. Dave um, Chris, uh, speaking of class, Abu
1: Dhabi... Um, talks about his injury-plagued oh, yeah, yeah. career.
3: Yeah, this was tough to read, I must admit. And I'm not even the one going through it. Um, he essentially kind of addressed his, I don't know if reputation is a fair word, his unfortunate habit for collecting injuries. And that he he kind of knows what everyone is saying about him, that he's made of glass and all this kind of stuff. It, it's very sad because actually it goes back to what we were saying before about Schweinsteiger and, and wanting to play is that, okay, money is uh, arguably a much easier thing to negotiate away from. Injury is just impossible. And, you know, it's funny, I was watching a documentary about him yesterday um, and and the build-up to the 2010 World Cup, and he was actually injured a lot of the season prior to that, kind of the 2009-2010 season. Um, And there's a bit where he actually breaks down on uh, the training field and then proceeds to kind of cry because, and, and Guillaume Balaguer is, is being interviewed, and he says, you know, he, he's frustrated because he's doing everything he's been told to do and it's still not working. And I imagine it's much the same for the RB. It's that idea of he's putting in the work. And he says himself, you know, people don't know or don't see the work I put in every day just to then break down again. And when you've trained and committed so much of your life to that one profession it must be infuriating to to know that it's just your body letting you down. It's not a lack of talent with the RB. We've seen enough instances of him being the player that uh, Wenger bought and, and saw as the kind of heir to, to Patrick Vieira, but his body just couldn't do it. And it's, it's a desperately sad thing, I think, when that happens to a professional. I've, I've got nothing but sympathy for them, because it, it really is, for the most part, not their fault.
1: Who's, there's not really a fault to be uh, um sort of given is there chris I'm not saying you're you're trying to do that but i mean you know it
3: is i themselves is the point there are some who become injury prone because of a lack of care and consideration for their body there are also instances like the Arby who do everything right and still suffer from that curse yeah very good point very good point.
1: Um, and, and you also sort of feel if he maybe was at a different club, then he would sort of, I don't know, it would be different.
3: Possibly. I think that is leveled at Arsenal fairly consistently, that the medical department is not to scratch. That's something I, I can't comment on personally because I haven't seen it. I don't know a great deal about it. I think a good amount of it is speculation founded on the idea of we have a lot of injuries. Um if, if that is the case, I, I feel doubly sorry for him because that's his club laying him down. But again, it's not something I'd want to speculate on because I, I don't have enough knowledge of the situation.
1: Good point. Um, another Arsenal player, uh, Chris, seems to be on his way to Bremen, and he has just joined him, Serge Nabry. Um But apparently yeah. it's fine. The interesting thing about this obviously isn't, isn't the low fee or the sort of... I mean, it is interesting. But the fact that it's financed by Bayern.
3: Well, this is the contentious point. So... You just alluded it to, to it there. There was a senior member of the Werder Bremen board who confirmed during a German television program, which Rafa Honigstein was on, um, very talented Rafa Honigstein, that confirmed it was Bayern that had funded the deal for Ganabri to join Bremen, with the understanding that if they wanted him, they could then take him themselves. And the reason partly for their benefit to doing this was it was cheaper for Bremen to buy him than Bayern, because obviously, or dealing with different clubs, you're maybe going to ask for a, for a different amount. If, if you think Bayern sees potential in your player compared to Bremen. Um, that has since been denied by, I believe it is their sporting manager, uh, Frank Bauman. He's he's denied um, any kind of collusion between the two clubs and says that Bremen own him outright. There is no deal to send him to Bayern if Bayern wants him. Um, it's all very confusing. It's all very ambiguous and it it just i don't know it's just a little bit unsettling to think that essentially two people in the same club are telling very different stories in public which so what do you think that means as my old man used to say when me and my brother were kids well one of you is lying yeah good point (laughs) that's that's the conclusion i draw from it is that I mean, it, to, to be fair, Bauman may not know of the agreement. that's uh, that's the difficulty. Um, I would imagine though he would have checked before he'd gone to the press and and said there is no agreement um, because it is just one simple phone call. Equally, <clears throat> I think his name is Willie Lemke. He may have got the he may be misinformed. Um, it's again, it's all a lot of ambigu- um, ambiguity ambiguity that needs clearing up. Um, and I don't know how you achieve that at this precise moment. I will be watching Gnabry with a, a very keen eye, though, because I think he was brilliant at the Olympics. And even though he couldn't achieve it at Arsenal, I was kind of secretly hoping that, that Newcastle might stick a bit in for him. Mm, very good point. Um, Chris, let's just finish this section off uh, with sort of some,
1: some sad news about a human, uh, another human being. Um, Houston Dynamo um, Academy player uh, who suddenly passed away.
3: Yeah, this is, it's sad, if not unsurprising, um, which by no means is a reflection on this young man's character. Um, his name is Sergio Maya. Um, and he was a, a former Houston Dynamo Academy player, uh, who was sadly murdered in Honduras over the weekend. And I say, it's not surprising because, uh, the murder rate in Honduras is frighteningly high. Um, I think it's 90.4 per 100,000 people and to give that some context um, the international average is 6.2 per 100,000 people so, that's, um, um, so it's 15, over 10 15, times 15 times almost, yeah Yeah, essentially 15 times the, the national or international excuse me average um, and it comes not long after we saw another Honduran international shot um, in the street it's it's really sad, and, and in some ways, it almost gives a real insight into why so many players in Honduras use football as a vehicle to move and maybe don't seek to go back and aren't too keen to go back either because it is a very dangerous city, uh, a dangerous country, excuse me. And it's typified by this. Um, Mahia, by all accounts, much like the the senior international that was shot recently um wasn't involved in anything untoward wasn't involved in anything nefarious, was just the wrong place in the wrong time and in many ways, those are the most depressing deaths i think when when the person did nothing to to kind of put themselves in that position other than be in the wrong place mm, uh, very sad and obviously thoughts with that family at the time. Um,
1: <clears throat> let's, let's slightly uh, shift gear on this one, guys, and um, to what happens during the international break. Dave, I'm sure that you're more than au okay fait with the Wembley Cup 2016, Spencer FC versus Weller Wanderers. What a game.
2: Yeah, I was, I was out with my mum and dad, you know, spending some nice family time with his sister it's and his nice boyfriend family. was there. Jesus. And I, you know, I just stopped it and I was like, guys, I've got to go home and I've got to get on YouTube.
1: Yeah. And they said, Dave, you're already on YouTube. You've got almost 10,000 subscribers.
2: Yeah, they were very confused. Wembley Cup, they you know they, well, they just didn't really get it. But you know that's life, right? Uh,
1: Chris, um, uh, <laughs> Chris, am I right in thinking that you watched along?
3: I did. I did watch along um, on on the YouTube stream um, just to to see what the fuss was about. Um, I believe you went though, didn't you? I went. I got I got three tickets and took my. Um,
1: my girlfriend, and her little brother. And he had a great time. They filmed, you know, little bits with whilst in Wembley, and he was really excited, happy to see some YouTubers. There were some legends there. I think that was the most interesting part for me, was obviously seeing the difference between young, semi-fit guys on YouTube, you know, sort of relatively healthy guys, against, you know, Robbie Fowler, JJ Okocha, J. Peter Schmeichel. You know, Robbie Fowler scored a fantastic free kick. JJ Okocha J. was just toying with players. Um, yeah, he was good. Jamie Carragher was, you know... Uh, that, was, that was a bit weird, because Jamie Carragher was sort of...
3: shit out of YouTube.
1: Yeah, he was sort of, there, there were some people who were sort of happy that he'd sort of pummeled the hell out of um, a couple of young YouTube guys, and some people were sort of confused as to why he was trying to compete so drastically against young YouTubers.
3: Uh, I will say this. I can see why he was slightly wound up by Joe Weller, based off what I was able to read on social media. But what happened, uh,
1: Dave? What happened? Chris, sorry. Uh,
3: I believe he was giving him a bit of stick on YouTube. Uh, not on you. See, this shows you how up to modern times I am. Um, he was basically running amok on MySpace. Um, but he was basically having a bit of back and forth with him on Twitter the day before. Um, and that obviously riled Carragher up. He did also smash... Another lad in the throat. I think his name is Elliot, something. Uh, they, call, uh, they call him
1: Malfoy because he looks a bit like...
3: But by all character. accounts, I don't think he did anything. Um, no, he just scored but, a great goal. He, he, yeah, that yeah. was a, a very good goal. Um, but yeah, the like I said, character in general seemed quite riled up. And then, of course, as these things do now, it then spilled back onto Twitter um, for a round two of sorts. And That's it was real, just... Yeah, it wasn't very in keeping with the, the what's the word Spirit. I'm looking for? The brand the brand message. Definitely not brand. Um, the Ethic. No, like the theme almost, you know, the kind of You know, oh, bring in a legend. Probably a shouting thing. the word at the, the screen. The kind of i the vibe of the evening. Yeah. And it was a good vibe. It wasn't in keeping with that. It was supposed to be a good
1: laugh. You know what? That, huh. that that was sort of what I found interesting about it, though, Dave. I mean, you know, and you know, obviously, if, either of you feel free to chime in. This was the most passionate I've seen kids about football in a while. Dave, no yeah. stats, it's no just sort of raw. You know, Casper Lee was on the pitch. Joe Sugg. These are big. These are God, YouTubers. They, these names country, might not. Man. They might not mean anything to you, but you know, they're they're out there. And people were supporting them. There was a band. There were twenty. Nice. I think it was eighteen thousand kids. It was incredible.
2: <laughs> no, it must have been a lovely day out, Lawrence. Yes, I, I, I don't understand kids of that age because I'm no longer that age. So it's one of those things where I can't really pass comment on. And not a lot of those guys, kids... sort
1: of your viewers, Dave.
2: No, and I, 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 I appreciate that they might be. I'm just it's it's something that I don't really I I'll never understand because of my age. I think um, you know, fair enough. If they want to. Go and chill and ch- cheer on their heroes. You know, great play. You know, for players like J.J. Cotcher to put his boots back on. That's a great day for anyone involved. Yes.
3: It's the ability to relate to them, really, isn't it? As- it's the yeah, idea that they're of for that, playing at Wembley.
1: I did sort of think that, was it is sort of, um, you know, that their relationship with the kids is, is so much closer than modern footballers. So these guys are sort of, yeah. you know, there is something quite interesting about it. You know, they are, they are sort of onto something there, if you like. As, you know, as, as easy as it might seem as a concept is mm. sort of hard to execute in such a good way. You know, there were votes and all sorts of things. That I imagine that, you know, for years, uh, although maybe, you know, it's more because it's put together by people who can do whatever they want, it, you know, it, it sort of does show that if football does want to engage on a commercial level, then the, there are some more interesting ways than just sort of being like, we tweeted to find out who likes football more, uh,
3: kids or other kids. Yeah. I think as well what what helps is you find a lot of these personalities are a little bit older so they're around probably our age maybe a little bit younger um and i remember when i was a kid my little brother whenever i had friends or anything like that he always wanted to be in the room always wanted to hang out and i do wonder if just part of it not to diminish their talent is kind of the the big brother complex so they see a lot of these guys as sort of big brothers and, and people that not necessarily they can look up to, but kind of the cooler older brother that maybe they don't have or, you know, they don't have a relationship with that they can hang out with and, and feel like they're a little bit older than they are. Hmm. I'm not sure. Oh, hold on a minute. Dave, what are
1: you playing? Oh, Dave's on Siri.
3: That was me, actually.
1: That was Chris on Siri. My
3: phone was in my pocket and it slid under me. Leg. <laughs> it slid under me. Leg. Um, <laughs> it hey. Looks like a leg. <laughs>
1: Um, and then obviously the Arsenal Legends played uh, Milan Glory um, and that was all very exciting as well wasn't it Dave they, uh, Arsenal Legends won 4-2 um, and it, it, it showed that Arsene Wenger can still put a side together that can compete in Europe Fucking hell. Can't who scored. You know what I found amazing is that there, there was just such blatant. Anger. This is what the
2: international bloody break does to us. We're talking about the Wembley Cup and we're fucking talking about <laughs> Arsenal legend. Carnou scored. Fucking Dave. AC Milan. I'm sorry for bloody. No. Inter- but this is a load of shit. It's going
3: to be hilarious if you get invited to that next year because I'm going to expect you to turn it down without even blinking. Without blinking at that 10 grand, Dave.
1: <clears throat>
2: yes, I God. Yeah, we've bloody from in the back of All a- them talking
3: about. It. I can see it now. He will. He'll be out there creating his brand, which is not a euphemism.
1: Yep, it looks like a leg. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Arsenal Legends one four two. Dave, should we quickly uh, brush up on what's coming next week? Uh, it, it's just exciting, isn't it? Uh, the the first Manchester derby between Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola.
2: What, the Manchester Legends game that we should talk about on Wednesday or something? Oh, was, there, no. was, there, was there a it's real football. Is there Real football yeah, Dave, is back, Lauren. essentially
1: what I'm saying is, though, that, that, is, that is still real football. They are still playing, you know?
2: Uh, yeah, they are still playing. And congratulations to everyone involved. But Man United versus Manchester City, let's, let's talk about that for a quick quick. You note. Know, interesting things. McTyrion's out injured. Um, Luke Shaw picked, has picked up a knock with England. Aguero has obviously been banned, so there's some big moves and there's going to be some big decisions from the, both the managers. At the moment, looking at the Manchester City squad, who's going to play up front? Is it going to be Ryan Sterling? Isn't Alito going to play there? Or even Kevin De Bruyne could be quite an interesting proposition playing through the middle, drifting wide. Then Manchester United, it looked probably, you know, Jess Lingard, I reckon, will come in on that right-hand side. I don't think Juan Matt is the right man for, um, you know, to play against Manchester City, given the tactical responsibility he's going to have. Um, and I think that's about it. You know, Luke Shaw. If Luke Shaw's out, that's going to be a huge loss for United as well. He's looked really good since he came back. Maybe Daley Blind will pushed out on the left hand side, and Chris Smalling will come in there. But anyway, that's a quick update on the Manchester derby.
1: Does it frustrate you a little bit, uh, Dave, that obviously the, the coaches won't get as long with uh, the players post international break, or do you think do you think that's almost that, that that sort of intensifies a little bit, makes it a little bit different, makes it a little bit more exciting in that sense?
2: I don't know, I just think the Premier League have shot themselves in the foot. Why have they put that game on at twelve thirty on because a Sunday? Because it's randomly generated, Dave. But that that is a Sunday, that is a classic Sunday game at 1.30 for me. That's what that is in football terms. Super Sunday. Super Sunday. First game there. Get it over with. Andy in and in the morning. Richard, greeting you, you know, it's exciting. Just, uh, again with the international break as well. Yeah, like you said, it gives the players a little bit less rest. So it'd be a better spectacle if it was on the Sunday. Well done, Premier League. Good work, lads.
1: Obviously Kunugua so, are not involved. Uh, getting that three-match ban. Uh, anyone I'm, Anyone against that three-match
3: ban? I'm going to miss it. He's going to what? No, I think I'm, I'm actually going to miss the game. I was going to say, though, I'm all for the ban. I think it was definitely an elbow. Just because he didn't connect doesn't mean you don't get a ban. But I'm I'm going to miss it, unfortunately. What are you going to be doing? Uh, I'll be in New York attending a
2: wedding. No way. You're playing the New York Red Bulls New York City Legends game, Chris. I'm not.
3: Uh, I'm attending a wedding in, I think it's Long Island, or so just north of... New York City. I don't really how the geography of the city
1: works. For any uh, for any brands out there, that is actually a great brand crossover for Chris. Chris, Chris is. Uh, I've I've seen him drink a number of high end energy drinks whilst being in his presence. At the same time, um, you know, I, I know that he's sort of big into New York. You know, so that's a great cross. I mean, you know, uh, any cap brands out there? Uh, Christ, any, did I
3: need them energy drinks when we play
1: football? <laughs> uh, you know, Lucas Aid, uh, Powerade, any of the above. Yeah, is. Gator- oh, Gatorade, big in the States, aren't they? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, uh, who else is big in New York? You know, Jay-Z. Come on,
3: come and sponsor Chris. There's no, I don't think New York City FC have been around. long enough to have a Legends team yet. You could argue the t- current team they've got is the Legends team. That's a good point, actually. Dave, were you, were you making a joke? No, nah, not me, mate.
1: Yeah, thought so. Uh,
3: he's never funny, trust me.
1: Uh, Dave, it's been it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, will you be watching the first Kosovo game of the World Cup qualifying tomorrow night, 7.30 UK time? I don't this think so, mate. Right.
2: I'm going to be honest with you, pal. I'm probably going to be putting putting together some material for Dave Talks. So get yourself excited.
1: Great. Never puts any bloody work into the Front 3
3: channel, but here he is. Bloody... Yeah? Is it a video on the Weller Wanderers against Spencer FC? <laughs> 'Cause otherwise it feels a little bit fruitless if I'm honest. Yeah. Dave, where's the brand synergy? He's gone. He's angry. Oh, he's gone. Yeah. No, he's gone. He has actually he I better?
1: think he has just muted himself.
3: He's, yeah, I he's currently, a trooper down that phone, yeah,
1: isn't he? He's currently furious, uh, on mute. Dave, are you okay?
2: Yeah, I'm fine, Lawrence.
1: Yeah, good. Oh, it's just banter, Dave. Let's I said go. I know. Um fantastic uh anyway let's move on shall we guys uh it's been a great podcast we'd love to hear from you midweek there are lots of questions that i'm sure you guys would like to ask about the international break we'll be previewing uh and reviewing obviously some of the international games if indeed you are interested in that uh you know that'll be great
3: and uh chris where can people go find you uh the front three youtube channel in Ooh, the near future good very good there's a there's a tease for you folks there's a tease um, while he's in new york how long are you in new york for, for chris just about 10 days just ten, it's just a, it's very much a short trip to facilitate the, the attendance of the wedding um and I think one MLS game, no two MLS games uh I think Toronto FC against New York Red Bulls and DC United against New York Red Bulls possibly I could be wrong it's honestly I've been so busy lately it's been mad but uh, definitely two MLS games Good. Where you can find me, though, Twitter, Facebook. I imagine they're, they're probably following me by now if they
1: listen to this. Yeah, I was thinking that um, as well. It's almost a bit of a waste, isn't it, This these couple of minutes?
3: Facebook, if you haven't got me on Facebook, um, preferably not my profile. The the page would be better. Yeah. Um, just because I don't really post much on my actual Facebook profile, but I do post consistently
1: on my page. I've got to admit, Dave Talks is fantastic. Uh, and, and so is Chris. Um, listens curmudgeons, yeah. Chris listens. That um, was a title for the yeah. <laughs> Um Jeez. And uh, Dave, people can go to Dave Talks. Right? They can go see you talking United, pr- predominantly.
2: Yeah, if they like. If they don't like, there's also you know other interesting place to find me, Lawrence. Like where, Dave? What? Well, I mean, oh, TFR, Full Time Devils, the front free YouTube channel, occasionally.
1: Occasionally, when we can be bothered to put a video up, and we should be bothered because, you know. It was it was great back in the I think,
2: day. I think I we've got to we got to put this as a a month, Lawrence.
1: Dave, I think that as a as a group we should set a challenge where we have to upload at least a video a day.
2: Just anything. In, we can do that. We can start that halfway through October.
1: Yeah. All right, Dave. We'll do it. Fair enough. Brilliant. All right, oh, cool. great.
2: Whatever. Sure. Bye.
1: All right. See you guys again soon on TF3. Right.
2: See you. Bye. Okay. I hope you're cutting this up,
1: Lauren, so you can add it to our mixtape. We are TF three. I got all my stats with
4: me. That's what Dave sings. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day
2: returns.
3: I don't have a distinct category.
2: Where do you fit into this? this? jerk, jerk.